Oh, Paul Robinson. Oh, listen, thanks for calling back. I, I, I'm just so disappointed. I missed the Quebec team yesterday. Do you think there's any chance you could get the, the Bolivia team down to the church this morning? I mean, we've already had an amazing time of worship, and I, I just wanted to touch base with them and, 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 and just challenge them. I, I mean, we want to send them out today, and I, I think we just need to hear from God. You've got them here already? Great. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we have heard from you. Our desire is to worship you. Our desire is to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable to God. We ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would use this entire service to equip us as your servants. Thank you for your call upon our lives. Thank you for your grace, which is sufficient for each of us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning. I want to speak to you this morning on God's internship process. Part of my responsibilities at Heritage College and Theological Seminary is to help students find placements. How many of you have had an internship in your career, a placement, some kind of apprenticeship? I mean, there are lots of hands, there's lots of process, lots of hours that have been spent as we learn the skills practically. It's one thing to have head knowledge, it's quite another thing to have the practical knowledge in terms of experience and good coaching and others around us who can walk us through the process of the career that, that God has assigned to us. I've studied the scriptures and now in this more recent responsibility that God has entrusted to me, I've done a lot of thinking about what this involves. And this actually is the Sunday when we're commissioning the team at the close of the service who will be heading out to Bolivia. The Quebec team is already down in service and uh, on global ministries, on, on the committee, we often discuss the, the, the process, and I urge you to pray for each of the, the leaders and the members of the team that God would so equip them that they would go as messengers of grace, that they would go in the name of Christ with a real blessing to the places God has opened up for them. In terms of my thinking, as well as a lot of discussion with missionaries and pastors, some of whom are in our own congregation here this morning, I have really worked through this process and, and defined it in terms of four things. Conversion, calling, character, and competencies. So we're going to work through that this morning. Conversion, what does it mean to know Christ? Are you truly a child of God? Calling, what is it that God has called you to be and called you to do? Character, in terms of what, is, what character of Christ, how much are you becoming like Christ? How well are you representing Christ in your ministry? And then the last area in terms of competencies. What skills, what abilities, what talents has God given to you that you could bring and lay, as it were, at the altar before him? Come to the foot of the cross in an act of surrender and say, Lord, take all that I am, take my life, and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Would you open your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 14. We're going to be looking at a number of passages uh, in the New Testament, but I want to use Acts 14 at, to really frame our discussion. In Acts chapter 13, as a Paul, then called Saul, and Barnabas are gathered with a group of leaders in the church at Antioch, they are worshiping the Lord in prayer and fasting. They're gathered together, they're part of that local body of believers, and as they are doing this, the Holy Spirit of God, whom Tracy sang about, moved in a mighty way and communicated this message. 
set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. There was a recognition by the church that the Spirit of God had his hand upon these two. God took two of their best leaders and sent them out. And as we come to the end of chapter 14, we have sort of a summary of how this missionary team, this first missionary journey, the word missionary isn't even found in Scripture, but this is what they are doing. They are proclaiming the gospel. They are representing Christ both within their culture and cross-culturally as they declare God's glory to the nations, his wonderful deeds among all people. So follow with me, please, at verse 21. Acts 14, 21. This is now the end of the journey. This is the final summation. Dr. Luke, who is writing this early church history known as the book of Acts, summarizes for us what these leaders did. Here's what he writes. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting, notice that, the very same process that had been followed in their commissioning, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. From Atalia, they sailed back to Antioch. Now they're back home. Now they're back at home base, back to the church that had originally sent them out. Notice what they do. They returned to Antioch where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. I want you to think with me. You may not be headed on the plane uh, to Bolivia, but God has a process of shaping and molding all of his servants. And every one of us must really ask God where we fit in his plan, how we can use all of our abilities, all of our talents, all the opportunities that we enjoy for his glory. And that looks different because God is a God of infinite variety. Well, in terms of the area of conversion, let's tackle this first of all because this really is the pivotal. This is the, this is the foundation for going anywhere. If you're going to serve God, you must know God, correct? Can you say amen, one or two, all right? If, you, if you're going to serve God, you must know God. You must have a relationship with God. And in the scriptures, you really have, in the New Testament, two different types of conversions. Those who find Christ as children, childhood conversion, those, and we'll look at one example, and then those who as adults, who have been going their own way, who have been living in rebellion, and, and God dramatically converts and, and regenerates them and calls them back to himself. But let's begin with childhood conversion. Childhood conversion. Take your Bibles, please, and turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Timothy is the prototype. Timothy is the example of a childhood convert. 
someone who we don't even know his age, but notice what Paul says to him as he pens this second letter. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. I have been reminded, I have been reminded of your sincere faith. I wonder if we have that this morning. Do you have a sincere, a genuine faith? That's what Paul said Timothy had. And notice, he says, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Grandma and mom led the way. Somehow, grandpa and dad were absent. Read about it in Acts chapter 16 as Paul encounters this young Christian in Lystra and Derby in the areas where he had served. It says his mother was a Jewish and a believer and his father was a Greek. It was an intercultural marriage and perhaps he had brought his gods, his faith or lack of it into the relationship. But God had a plan for this young man and God saw that, that faith and the message of the gospel came to him through grandma and his mom. I'm sure we have some testimonies of that in this auditorium this morning. Grandmothers, mothers who have brought to us, saw that we got to Sunday school, saw that we got to church while dad and grandpa were out doing their thing, earning their business or whatever else they were distracted with. Over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, now Paul is encouraging Timothy to keep on. He is a mature man. He is a leader within the church. And he says to him in verse 14, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. Notice these words. And how from infancy, how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Timothy was not born a Christian. No one is, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are born in sin. But Timothy had the advantage that he was born in a home, born in a home where at least one parent, one member of the family had a relationship with God. And they had been faithful in instructing him, in exposing him in age-appropriate stories and accounts from Scripture so that Paul could say how from infancy. uh, Some of you, how many of you went to church even before you were born? I mean, right? Some of us were just, you know, we we heard of the name of Jesus. Maybe that was one of the first words we learned apart from, you know, mommy and daddy or mommy and dad. I I don't know, but, but some have that advantage. But it leaves sometimes questions in our minds. Sometimes those of us who've been converted as children think, well, I don't have much of a testimony. You know, I was a really rebellious three-year-old. You know, I had temper tantrums. You know, I had my own way. Well, you know, those of you who work in that age group know that that's a reality. They need grace, and the workers that work with them need grace. Well, that's a whole other sermon, isn't it? But God in his mercy had chosen to work in Timothy's life and how from infancy he'd been exposed to the scriptures, obviously at some point he had affirmed or confirmed his faith in Jesus Christ. Use the Bible. What strategy do you have to teach your family the word of God? Good question to ask ourselves. Well, how about adult conversions? The 
Again, the classic example in the book of Acts is, of course, the conversion of Saul. He is a zealous religious leader who does not know God. He is religious, but he's not right with God. So many people are like that. Very precise, very exacting in his obedience, in his, rig, in, in his following of what he understood about God, but he had never encountered Jesus Christ until he was headed down the Damascus Road. And as he was headed there, armed and with, with um, letters in his hand that if he found any followers of the way, he could take them, he could arrest them, and take them back to Jerusalem and have them properly prosecuted and persecuted, he encountered Christ. And this adult is changed. He is regenerated. And conversion is this outward expression of this inward reality. The Spirit of God, through the Word of God and through the encounter of the living Word, even Jesus, stopped them in his tracks and asked him, Jesus asked him a question, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And his question was, who are you, Lord? He didn't know who Jesus was. So many religious people don't. Well, just, just to wrap this up and press this a little bit, the, the, the conversion of Saul becomes the basis for his testimony. He, he has an opportunity to share in an amazing way the grace of God that he experienced. And twice in the book of Acts, we have a full-blown testimony, a full account of this encounter on the Damascus Road. Now, you have to think through, and again, just in terms of application, the key question that we need to come to, the key issue is, am I a child of God? That, that, that's the issue. Whether, whether you were exposed as a child when you were very, very, you know, a young rebel, or whether you were an old rebel, you know, they're both kinds, but they're both rebellious, it just manifests itself differently. The issue is, do you know Christ? The issue of conversion is the, is the beginning point for service. How can you represent God if you don't know God? It, it's, it's impossible. You are misrepresenting someone if you don't know him. So the question is that we need to settle, not have I been hanging out with Christians, do I think they're cool people, not am I uh, a regular church attender and occasionally pick up my Bible. The issue is have I experienced the grace of God? Second point, or second component in terms of God's internship process, how he forms and equips his servants, is the issue of calling. It's the issue of calling. The question is, what sense of calling do you have on your life? I've had a variety of conversations through the years with teens and young adults and adults about this very topic. How do I know, the question is, how do I know if I'm called? How do I know where I fit in God's plan? How do I know what God wants you, God wants me to do with my life? I mean, the typical classical teen's devotional was how to know the will of God. Anybody heard a study on that? 
I mean, that's just the classic. That's the question mark, the big question mark that captures at camp, campgrounds, I bet, this summer, and firesides, and, and ca- canoe trips, and hiking adventures. You know, when we get to a devotional time, it's, well, how can we know the will of God? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's almost like a given. That's just needing to be built into youth ministry training. This, the, the, the question is, in, in a more general sense, the issue of what has God called you to do? You've experienced the saving grace of God. That's conversion. That's regeneration. The issue is, how might you serve God? Turn, please, to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter now is writing not just to the Bolivia team, although I hope they're here and reading. He's not just writing to the leaders. He's writing to all the Christians. Every believer, you are a child of God here this morning through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you're not, I pray that today is a day of salvation. But if you are, here's what Scripture says to you through the pen, spirit-directed pen of Peter in verse 10. 1 Peter 4.10, each one, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. There it is faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Remarkable picture. We're not going to take too long to develop it, but the word various, translated various in the NIV, is the Greek word that means multicolored, multifaceted. The the grace of God has all kinds of shapes and sizes and colors to it. The question is, what are you contributing to the body of Christ? What, 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 what color, as a word, do you bring to the table? Peter then gives to us in verse, uh, verse 11 the, 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 the text or sort of the, the most basic principle of spiritual gifts. When you come into the New Testament, there are basically four passages that deal with spiritual, spiritual gifts, what, what equipment we have. Romans 12 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. And this is the most basic. This is one that I've used in a variety of conversations. And here in 1 Peter 4, Peter says, listen, there are two ways that you may manifest the grace of God. Verse verse 11, if anyone speaks, if that's what God has called you to do, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. You're God's spokesman. If anyone serves, there's the other alternative. He should do it with the strength God provides. So, team members, whether you're speaking for God in your language or a second language through a translator, you need to represent him well. You're speaking for God. That's a huge responsibility. But if you're serving, you say, well, I'm not a speaker. That's really not where I'm gifted and equipped by God. Even if you serve, you serve with the strength he provides. You still need God's help. And here's the purpose, so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. That's the goal. And then Peter bursts into praise to him be the glory and the power forever and ever Amen. The purpose of all service, the purpose of us finding our calling 
is that we become an instrument, a channel of God's grace to others. In what way has God brought his grace through your life? That's the question. For everyone, not just leaders, not just pastors, not just Sunday school teachers and workers, but every single child of God needs to ask this question, needs to wrestle with this text. Our sense of calling. Thirdly, or well, tied into, tied into calling, you have, again, a contrast. Let's, let's develop this a little bit further. You've got two examples, again, just, just quickly. You have the example of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, we, we don't know exactly when he in, first encountered the grace of God. We don't have a, a, a clear timeline in terms of how old he was, but it appears some Jewish commentaries suggest that he may have been as young as 14. And as he gets this sense and has this burden from the Spirit of God that he has a role in God's plan, that God is calling him him as a prophet, this is his response. God, God says, the word of the Lord comes to him, Jeremiah 1 verse 5, and he says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. That's, that's pretty young, isn't it? Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. I gave you your life work. I set you on a career path even before you were born. Now, it's amazing how some children discover and how parents sense God's purpose God's direction even in the life of young children. It, it, it takes great wisdom. The, the, the famous text that used to be embedded on Ontario report cards, but that's another discussion. Uh, on the back, it used to say, I have a couple of them in my uh, archival collection, and, and on the back it says, train up a child in the way he should go, help me out. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. Now, now that's not a text really encouraging just discipline. The issue is, if you discover where a child is gifted and equipped and designed by God, when he is old, because we are all getting older, we won't use old, but we're all getting older, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Do you you see what God is saying? God has designed you from birth. God made you who you are. And if you discover, the earlier you discover God's plan and line up with it, the more fulfillment you'll have. Amen? Amen. Someone's listening, right? But the more you resist this, the more frustration you're going to have. I have met so many who said, listen, you know, Pastor Keith, I have been fighting this for years. And finally, I'm running up the white flag. Praise God, right? There's always time. While there's life, there's hope. So if God has been tapping you and tapping you and tapping you on the shoulder, turn around and, and you know, look up into his face and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Saul asked that on the day of his conversion. What, what do you want me to do? And God certainly directed him, didn't he? Right from day one and through his life. So Jeremiah's response is, Oh, sovereign Lord, I, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a child. 
I'm too young to serve. Listen, God does not like excuses. So that, that, that's how this 14-year-old responded to the sense of calling and purpose God had in his life. March forward, march back into the book of Exodus to dear old Moses, who is 80. You know, life began at 80. Anybody? No, put your hands up. Uh, he's 80 years old, and God gives him a 40-year assignment. Pretty, uh, pretty impressive. And how does he respond? He, he goes by this burning bush, and God speaks to him out of the bush. And how does Moses respond? Does he, does he surrender and say, oh, to Jesus, I surrender, or take my life and let it be? Those songs weren't even written, of course. But what does he do? He said, no, Lord, I, I, I don't know how to speak. Here am I, send my brother. Right? He had all kinds of excuses, and God said to him, listen, who made your mouth? Who formed you? And there was quite a discussion as God persuaded, and I mean persuaded, Moses at 80 that he could not excuse himself from service. If you're a senior here today, I've been speaking to teens, and the end of the service will have a combination of all ages. We won't identify them, but, you know, as the Bolivia team comes forward and we commission them, but if you're a senior, you have no excuse, listen, not to serve, Unless there's no life left in you. you. You know, if you're dead, okay, all right, we'll accept that. Right? While there's life, there's service. You know, during the years when Ruth and I were involved in ministry in northern Ontario, somebody wanted to encourage me, and they gave, me, gave us a little fridge magnet. And they said, serving uh, Jesus doesn't necessarily pay well, but the retirement benefits are out of this world. Thank you. <laughs> Great. I, still, I think we threw it out. But, uh, you know, there are different perspectives on service. What, the key question is this. What has God called me to do? Do you have a sense of calling? Do you have a sense, are you living purposefully? Isn't it amazing that Rick Warren's purpose-driven life hit the bestseller book? The bestseller list. Well, what are people looking for? A purpose. Why am I here? What is my purpose in living? If, listen, if you lack purpose in living, you'll be subject to despair. You will battle depression. You'll have all kinds of health issues because you haven't discovered your purpose. And the church fits into that. It's not just a little individual quest. That's a whole other series. But, but think about it. Paul, or Saul, was, was told by Christ, listen, in Acts 9, read about it. We're going to pick it up more next week as we look at his testimony in Timothy. But in, 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 in Acts 9, the Lord says to him, go into the city of Damascus, and it will be told you what you must do. You, you will get your instructions through other believers. There must be confirmation. We're not called to, to be lone rangers, to just go it alone with Jesus. No, we're called to be part of the body of Christ, his arms, his feet, engaged in representing him where he's placed us. Third component is that of character. If I'm converted, if I sense calling, 
Then the third component in terms of shaping and making me effective is the issue of character, and the issue is that of Christ-like character. That's the question. As I open up God's Word, I need to ask myself, how much am I like Christ? We're called to be like Christ. Turn, please, to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 where Paul is unpacking the wonders of salvation, all that God has done. If God be for us, who can be against us? We know that. We sometimes sing that. And what does he say? Verse 28, a verse that has been used and sometimes misused, that we know that in all things God is at work for the good of those who love him, who've been called, notice this, who've been called, there it is, according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined. These are big theological terms. We'll let the theologians wrestle with those on another occasion. But God says, or Paul says, God knew in advance and planned that we would be, notice, conformed to the likeness of his Son. Our measuring in terms of spiritual growth is not how well we're doing with others, but how well we line up with Christ. How Christ-like are you? How Christ-like am I when someone cuts me off on the 401? You know, I can, be, I can pretend to be Christ-like when I worship and sing and, and you know, offer myself. And, and praise God for, for great music. And we have excellent music here. Fantastic. But, but the re, where the rubber meets the road, right, is on the 401 or 407 or wherever you drive. And, and that's where you're tested to see what kind of Christ-like character you have. How, how is it defined in Scripture? What, what does Christ-like character look like? Does it not look like the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5, we know those verses. These are familiar verses. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. These are character qualities. This represents the very essence of who Jesus is. And where I look in God's word, open up his word, and where the spirit of God takes the word of God and presses into my heart, he shows me who he is and who I am. Agreed? And the blessing comes, I've been working through James. And in James, James says the person who is going to be blessed is a person who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and he doesn't forget what he's seen but is transformed by it. That's the difference. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. And, and, and James uses the old picture of a glass. You know, the early, the early mirrors that men, men and women used. And as you looked into the glass, you saw, depending on you know, who was on the cleanup crew the night before, or who had that chore to do, you saw a bit of a reflection And when you saw your face in the glass, for a moment, for just a brief moment, you had an opportunity to do something about it. Ever been there? Right? (laughs) You don't want to be rushed in the morning. That's what I'm telling you. Right? 
We had a neighbor in northern Ontario who, who had no sense of smell. He worked on a farm, and as he rushed in the morning, he encountered a skunk out in his, uh, in his, in his farm property, and he ended up in a high school. He was a, he was a, a science teacher, and uh, trust me, the students knew where he'd been. You know, but, but, but mirrors, you just have that brief moment, and the same with the Word of God, that as, you, as the Bible's open before us and I see my need, and I see how Christ-like I am not, the Spirit of God then calls me to repentance. Jesus said the Spirit of God will convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. The Spirit of God will take the Word of God and press it on our conscience, on our hearts, on our lives, till we surrender. Where we've grieved him, where we've quenched him, where we've hindered his work through some careless word, the Spirit of God identifies that and calls us to repentance and then drives us to the great hope if we confess our sins. He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's an amazing arrangement, isn't it? You can be in a right standing with God. So the character, again, the key question is, what character qualities do I need to cultivate in order to become more like Christ? What's missing? Some of you have fruit trees, as we, as we do in our property. And, you know, a, a fruit tree, if it's properly pruned and cultivated and fertilized, it just bears fruit. You know, you don't see it struggling and, and wrestling. I wonder what kind of fruit I should produce today, or if I should. Right? It needs moisture. It needs fertilizer. It needs proper attention. And when it, when it is functioning as designed, it produces fruit. The same is true within the family of God. God never says to us, if we're dealing with patience, anybody dealing with a lack of patience? Three people. Okay. <laughs> Come next Sunday. We'll all be in the list. God never says to us in that issue, try harder. Just, just try harder. Say to your coworkers, this week, I'm going to try harder to be more patient. No. Not if it's the fruit of the Spirit. The, the, the relationship that is key is, first of all, am I converted? What's God's call? You know, what's, what, what experience do I have of his grace? And I'm asking God, produce in me what I lack. Change my heart, oh God. Make me more like you. God does that. God hears the cry of our heart. Well, the final area is that of competencies. And, and, and I really believe it is number four. You must know whether or not you're converted. That, that, that's... that's that's central. Then a sense of calling. Then character. And of course, character can disqualify you. Talk to our missionaries. Talk to some of our teams that have gone out. It's character issues that usually are the deal breaker. Missionaries pack it in. Pastors quit over character issues. They're found wanting. They're found. And for us, those of us who aren't called to vocational service still are called to be like Christ. 
So in the area of competencies, the Bible challenges us with these, what I would call, crafted competencies. Not just raw talent. There's lots of people that have all kinds of raw talent out there who do not have any relationship with God. Would you agree? You know, I've, I've been a Christian for a number of years, and, it, you know, it's hard to draw a, a straight line without a ruler for me. Just, I'm just not, not me. I, I, I admire, I guess I can't use the word envy because I'm preaching, but, you know, I admire people that are artists. My wife's an artist, beautiful artist. I don't have that ability. I have other areas of gifting. But taking, taking what God has given me, we are, I am and we are to use all of that for his glory. What are, what are some samples? What are some areas of competencies where God may well equip you and where God has actually resourced you with, with training, with native ability, with, you know, with raw talent, and you've brought that to the foot of the cross and said, Lord, all that I am is a gift of you. Take my life. We're going to sing that in closing. Take my life and let it be consecrated Lord to thee. So here, here are some just impossibilities. Uh, construction. Uh, we send out missionary teams in terms of construction and, and their involvement in terms of building and reconfiguring things in, in our own country and in other countries that you know, just need a little more proper framing. Uh, how about the area of music or sports? You know, they're just, there's a variety. These are just some samples. Business, business skills. Uh, next Sunday night, uh, the Arnolds and I are going to have a bit of a discussion, talk about India. I hope you'll be a part of that and just, you know, hear some of the doors uh, that God directed them uh, to use and, and what he has for them. The key question is this. What skills, what skills do I have It's inventory, isn't it? Inventory time. What skills do I have which I may develop fully in order to serve Christ? So here's the summary. Let's look at the summary now and close this. What is God's internship process? What is God's plan for taking people who have experienced his saving grace and his serving grace, and, and then how does he take them to become messengers of grace to others, whether at work, in the community, on a missions trip, whatever doors. It it is remarkable the doors God opens. That was the the record in Acts 14, wasn't it? That that as Luke summarizes the end of the the very first missionary journey, the missionary team gets back home, they get back to Antioch, and they, get, they gather the church together. And they report all that God had done. Well, why are we praying? Why do our prayers follow the team that's in Quebec this morning? Why will our prayers follow the team headed to Bolivia? Because our desire is to see God at work. We're asking him to protect them. We're asking him to equip them. We're asking him to open doors so that Christ will be proclaimed to the ends of the earth. And the amazing thing is that we at home are a vital link in that process. It's amazing. What a privilege. What a responsibility. So God weaves together conversion, 
a sense of calling, character, and our competencies in order that we might become his equipped servants. Would you join me in the commitment? Our worship team is going to come and lead us now in, in a song that really invites us and just says, Lord, we come, we want you to take our lives and let them. We pray that they will be consecrated. They'll be set apart for your purposes and for your glory. Let's sing together.